Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us today as we continue our series on forgiveness, F-Bomb. In the past weeks, Lead Pastor David Fossilt has helped us gain a better understanding of how God has forgiven us and a definition of forgiveness. Today, we look at motivation, why we should forgive. Listen as Pastor Dave shows us from Matthew 8 some reasons for forgiving others, such as God is speaking, it will help and heal our soul, and it directly impacts our relationship with God. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be on page 985 if you're using one of our church Bibles, page 985. As you're turning there, I want to show you the picture of what is now known as the Death Railway or the Death Bridge. It's in uh, over the Kwai River in uh, Burma. And uh, this is what it looks like today. It's actually a major tourist destination. If you go to that part of the world, a very interesting museum that also accompanies uh, this death railway or death bridge, as it is also known. It's not famous for how it looks today. Uh, what makes it famous and so significant is how it looked during World War II. And I have a picture. It's very grainy, but it begins to give you some sort of an idea of what happened and what, what went on. So you see, during World War II, Japan controlled this part of the world, and they decided for strategic and military reasons that they needed a bridge or they needed a railway uh, going across Kwai River. And so they decided to use uh, prisoners of war, allied prisoners of war, to build this bridge. Um, the problem, however, is that these, uh, these POWs were starved, murdered, tortured. Most of their rights, uh, human rights, were denied. Uh, it was absolutely a brutal, brutal situation uh, to the point that 16,000 allied POWs died building that one bridge, that one railway. Um, now, what, what makes this story so significant uh, is not what happened during World War II, but why I tell it to you is because of what happened in August of 1995. Uh, there was a ceremony that was held and it was planned and organized by a former um, Japanese official that worked uh, and supervised the, the POWs by the name of Nagase Takashi. And what he did is he coordinated a ceremony uh, with many of the Japanese officers that were still alive uh, and that served and supervised on that bridge um, with uh, uh, allied delegation. And what they did is they started on either side of the bridge and they slowly walked across and uh, Nagashi um, then presented the allied delegation um, thousands of letters from children and from former officers, Japanese officers, asking for forgiveness for what they'd done. They met in the middle, they shook hands, they embraced, they shed tears. One Australian uh, man who had served uh, as a prisoner, uh, now into his late 70s, by the name of David Barrett, said this, I made this long pilgrimage because I felt that continuing to hate would in fact destroy me. It would destroy me. Um, an image of restoration, an image, a story of forgiveness. We are in week three of this series, F-Bomb on Forgiveness. 
And uh, I don't normally do this, review what we've covered, but I think that for this morning, it's important for you to understand where we've been, where we're going. It'll give you a little bit of a picture of four or five months ago when I'm planning what to do, how I organize a series. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Week one, we talked about um, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight, and it was an introduction of forgiveness. Um, it, It was basically trying to help us understand what kind of forgiveness does God give you? If you don't understand how full and how complete that is, you are not in a position spiritually or relationally or emotionally to then offer forgiveness to somewhere else. So you have to start there, understanding how God has forgiven me, how God has forgiven you. And then last week, Luke chapter 15, we looked at the definition of forgiveness in the story of the prodigal son. So many of you came up to me talking about how you'd never heard, you know, what, what, what is God really asking when I, when I offer forgiveness and when I seek forgiveness? God is not asking you to press the reset button and the relationship goes back to normal necessarily. No, some things can change and some barriers need to be set up. But you nevertheless, you forgive, right? Uh, both of those messages you can listen to on the podcast or watch on Vimeo. Today, what I want to talk to you about is motivation. Why should I forgive? Why should I forgive? You know, one of the things I've realized as a pastor, it took me a while to get this, is that many of us sitting in church do not need more information about God's word. The reality is, is that many of us have enough information about what's in this book, that if we learn nothing new from here to the rest of our lives and all you did, all I did is apply what I already know, you would be completely fine with God. Do you understand me? Many of us don't need more information. What we need is motivation to actually apply and do what we already know to be true. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story in Matthew chapter 18. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you're thinking right away, oh, in my Bible, it says it different. In most Bibles, it does. It's the story of the unmerciful servant. But I've entitled it the unforgiving servant because very, by the way, you do know that the the title headings and the chapter divisions, those weren't originally written by the gospel writers. That's added years later by someone just to help us organize it. Right. But when you read the story in Matthew 18, it's not about mercy. It is not about grace. It is about forgiveness. That's what the story is about. And specifically unforgiveness. Now, those of you who are type A personalities and you see the three blanks at the bottom of of your first note page, I'm not going to answer those right now. I'm going to come back to them at the end of the message. So don't freak out on me. Okay. What I want to do is set the story up by looking at the Lord's prayer as it is quoted in Matthew chapter six. Here's what we read in Matthew. Oh, before we do that, let me give you the Why put that up there. Thank you. The why, why should I forgive? Number one, God is speaking. He says, cause I said so. Now, I realize that's not how he would speak, right? But I'm trying to connect with the kids and I'm trying to make a point. Would you agree that point number one, God says so, should be the end of the discussion? I should be able to say, let's stand, let's close on a word of prayer. I'll let you go home early. I'm not going to. No, that's not going to happen. Sorry. Because we sometimes, you know, point number one isn't enough for some of us. It should be, but it's not. Uh, point number two, it will help heal and restore your soul. You just heard a story of someone who said, you know, you choose to forgive and what it does for you is actually more beneficial than what the other person receives. And, and some of us are living with bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. And we're more miserable than the one that hurt us, offended us and sinned against us. It's as much for you as anyone else. 
What we're going to cover this morning is point number three. And if you, this, in my opinion, is by far the most important. It directly impacts my relationship, your relationship with God. You think it's about you and the other person. It's actually more about you and God than anything else. Now let me show you Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Let's put it up there. Uh, the first part and the last part in smaller letters, you, you know, you know uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us today our daily bread. You know that part. It ends with lead us not to temptation, so on and so forth. What we want to talk about this morning, of course, because of the theme of our series, is the verse in the middle where we are taught to pray by Jesus. Okay, you want to know how to pray? By the way, don't be discouraged if you don't think you're very good at praying. The disciples didn't think they were good at praying either. You can get better at it, right? So keep working at it. And he says, when you pray, one of the themes of your prayer should be forgiveness. Forgiveness that you are asking from God. You should talk about that to him, okay? And so I've tried to highlight the key themes. Obviously, you see the two words forgive. But what I want to draw your attention to is the unique word that Matthew uses for sin. He uses the word debt. So let's talk about debts. Let's talk about financial debts. You do know that there's a financial formula. We all understand this. You don't have to be a banker or a business major in college to understand. Here's the financial formula. Here's how it works. You owe, you pay. Some of you don't realize that's how it works. Let's try that again. You owe means you pay. That's how it should work. You get some furniture at Sears, you owe them, you should pay them, right? You get a, a, a you know, a, some college uh, a loan, you owe, you pay, right? That's how it works. It, you see, if you don't follow that very simple financial formula, you're going to get in trouble. You can't go into the bank tomorrow and say, you know, this mortgage payment I got to do every month, I just, it just cramps my style. And, and I, 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 there's this vacation I want to go on. I could use that. So I've just decided I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, you could try that. Go ahead and try that. And what will happen very, very shortly is they will basically take your home away. Because you didn't follow the basic financial formula. You owe, you pay. In fact, if you don't have a, if it's more kind of, if, if you do that on the street. See, when you owe someone on the street, we refer to that person as a loan shark. I want to point out to you, we don't call them a loan bunny. We don't call them a lone puppy. We call them a lone shark for a reason. And the reason is, is if you don't follow the formula, you owe, you pay, the shark shows up and he bites you with his teeth or he shows up with a baseball bat. That's how the formula works. But we instinctively know he's not talking about financial debt here. He's talking about spiritual debt. This is interesting because there's five different words in the Bible in the New Testament, Greek New Testament for sin, five different ones. And uh, Matthew uses one very unique, seldom used that has the connotation and is translated in our English Bibles as debt. Now, it's not that hard to figure out why he uses it. When you're reading a, a, a biblical author, you have to know a little bit about them and it helps you understand how they write. So week number one, John. His profession, he was a fisherman. So, you know, he would speak very normal, natural language. He's not too sophisticated. He's just kind of a normal guy, right? Um, week number two, Luke, what was his profession? He was a doctor. He was a doctor. Doctors are precise. 
They don't, you know, every word they use are, is very specific. They're highly trained. And when you read Luke and then, and then Acts, it's very detailed. He's very, very careful when he writes. Today, our, our writer, Matthew, what was his profession? He was a tax collector. He was an accountant. He was a CPA. So he, he, he's also very careful, but he's careful with numbers for different reasons. So when he's writing, he says, I got a, I got a word for sin that, that, I, that I really can identify with. Because you see, he did it in the books all the time. It meant debt. You see, we instinctively understand when, when we sin, essentially what we do is we incur a debt with God. We owe him. We even have language in our, in our English language with that same connotation. Have you ever said this or heard someone say, you know, you at least owe them an apology? Have you ever heard that phrase? Why? Because we also understand when someone wrongs you, you basically have a debt. You at least owe them an apology, maybe more. He's just picking up on this idea. But what key, what's key about this phrase is not the theme, forgiveness. It's not the unique word for sin, debt. It's that two-letter word that changes everything. Forgive us our debts as... In other words, in the same manner that I forgive someone else. So let's just be clear how Jesus instructed us to pay and what he's implying. Dear Jesus, um, hallowed be your name. I praise you. Um, I pray that your kingdom would come in my life and in our church and that you would have your way here in, in, on, on earth. I, I pray that you would help me with my daily needs. And, and, and oh, yeah, dear God, please forgive me. In the same way, in the same manner that I forgive those who have wronged me. Question. Are you comfortable with God forgiving you in the same manner that you forgive others? Because that makes me a little nervous. How about you? We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later on. It's almost like Jesus says, or Matthew says a little bit later, you know what, I think I'm going to have to explain this. I'm going to have to explain this whole idea of debts and, 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 and finances and spiritual debt and how it works. So this is now when we get to Matthew chapter 18, the story of the unmerciful or the unforgiving servant. And in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, here's what we read. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? S up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times times i can't help but wonder if when 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 uh matthew or, or when peter asks how many times should i forgive my brother i wonder if he's speaking literally because his brother was also one of the disciples his name was andrew and if you have a brother you know how brothers are right and they're, they're you know brothers can just be at they love each other but they're constantly seem to be fighting and my guess is that Peter and Andrew were the same way. Maybe, maybe Peter's just, Andrew's driving him crazy. You know, he uses the fishing nets. He doesn't wash them and put away. You know, um, he, he borrows my old Navy jacket without asking. You know, he's constantly taking my stuff, you know. And I'm just sick and How many times should I forgive him, Jesus? And before Jesus even has a chance to answer, Peter suggests, how about seven times? Now, this is actually quite generous. In that day and age, rabbis and Jewish law required you to forgive someone three times. 
three times. On the fourth time, you could beat him upside the head. But you had to forgive him three times, right? So Peter goes, I'm going to go double plus one. How about seven times? He wants to come across as really godly. And Jesus surprises him and say, seven times? No. How about 77 times? Now, just so you understand, Jesus is not giving an exact number. This, this is not like going to the sandwich shop and every time you go, you click, you know, and then when you get to 77, then you can do whatever you want. That's not what the, the, the number seven Bible teachers are, are speculating here. Why he uses that number is the number of perfection. And what Jesus is trying to suggest and to imply to Peter and to us as followers is how many times should you forgive? Here's the answer. What I want my followers to do is to be known as some someone who is continually having an attitude of forgiveness to other people. There's not an ending point. You are to continue to forgive. That's who you are as a person. Jesus said, okay, let let me explain to you how this works. I'm going to tell you a story. He was great at telling stories to help explain his point. So he tells the story of this unforgiving, unmerciful uh, uh, servant. and, and, And this is what we read in verse 23. So, or therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold just kind of tucked that away. I'm going to explain what that is in a second, why that's significant. He owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So they liquidated everything. Next slide, please. At this moment, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and let him go. Apparently, there's this master, there's this king who calls uh, his auditing uh, company and he says, it's time to do an audit. I want you to look over the financials. Uh, I want you to identify uh, concepts and things that you see. And I also want you to identify people that owe me money, especially the people that owe me the most money. So very quickly on the first day, they're looking through all the receipts and the accountants are doing their thing. And they identify someone who owes 10,000 bags of gold. Now, even before I tell you how much that is worth, doesn't that instinctively sound like quite a bit? 10,000 bags of gold. That sounds like a lot of change, right? Let me give you the context of how much that is, okay? Um, We know from historical records that at that time, the entire tax revenue for the whole nation was 600 bags of gold a year. So the whole budget for the whole country, their entire revenue was 600 bags bags of gold this one dude all by himself owes ten thousand bags of gold he owes the, the, the size of the national debt all by himself so he comes and uh he begins to beg and he says i i will i will pay back everything someone has also calculated uh that the amount of ten thousand bags of gold is the equivalent of twenty thousand years worth of salary for one guy so let me ask you a question when he gets on his knees and he says i will pay back everything is that a logical reasonable statement to make it really isn't you can say all you want there's no way you're paying it back you there's no way you can do it i don't know what got him into this trouble uh but again jesus is telling this story and, and trying to help understand and then to everyone's surprise 
you know, the king somehow has pity on this man. Uh, he, and he throws up a Hail Mary and this guy says, please forgive me, I'll pay it back. And, and, and to his surprise, to everyone's surprise listening, he cancels the debt. And says, not only will I give you another chance, I'll just, I'll rip up the note. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. Now, um, this is the time to say, hopefully you understand from a financial point of view, that when you default on a loan, when you declare bankruptcy, you do realize that the bills don't magically disappear, don't you? You, you realize that, right? It's like the one scene from Seinfeld. Yeah, they just write it off. Well, what do you mean by write off? They just write it off. Do you know what that means? No, I don't have a clue. Some of us don't realize when you default on a loan, when you declare bankruptcy, that does not mean that the bills just float away and disappear. No, what it means is someone always pays Someone always picks up the tab. It could be the bank. It could be the lending institution. It could be whoever co-signed for you on whatever it is you bought. It could be your parents. But somebody always pays if I default on a loan. Always. In this case, Matthew chapter 18, who picks up the tab? Who takes the hit? The king takes the hit. He is owed 10,000 bags of gold. And he basically says, you know what? You owe this to me. Here's the books. They say so. I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to cancel your debt. I'm picking it up. Now, have you figured out by now that the story has nothing to do with money and finances? This is not a story about money. This is not a story about financial debt. This is a story about spiritual debt. And the king in the story represents God. Take a wild guess who the servant represents. It's you. And Jesus is setting this story up. And he's saying, just like this servant in the story owed 20,000 years worth of work. He owed 10,000 bags worth of gold. He owed the national debt all by himself. In the same manner, you have a massive mountain of moral debt that no way, no how, under any circumstance will you ever be able to pay. Because every time you sin, you incur a debt with God. And it keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. Because you're selfish and you covet and you lust and you're prideful and impatient and ungrateful and you lie and you're materialistic and you're greedy and on and on and on and on and on. You have incurred a massive moral debt that you can't pay. Snap, that's not good. The good news is this. If you fall to your knees and you beg God for forgiveness and you trust in his son, Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross for you, the note gets ripped up. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's good news. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's good news. That's good news. The apostle Paul says it like this in the book of Colossians. Let's put it up there. Book of Colossians, chapter 2. He has forgiven all your sins, all your debt. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Oh, that was a good story. Can we go home now? The problem is there's a second part to the story. 
A second part of the story that talks about not how I receive forgiveness from God, but where he's been wanting to go all along, how you show forgiveness to others. And then he adds and wraps up the second part of the story in verse 28. And he says this. But when that servant, let's just call him servant number one, the guy who got forgiven that massive debt, found one of his fellow servants, another friend, who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now notice, it goes from 10,000 bags of gold to a hundred silver coins. I'm going to explain to you that value in a moment. He grabbed him, choked him, and said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. Did you notice how he's setting the story up? Exactly what we said to our heavenly father is what this other servant says to him. Same words, same actions. He fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay a debt. Let me give you the context. A hundred, uh, 10,000, uh, 10,000 bags of gold worth 20,000 years worth of work. What is a hundred silver coins worth? What we know and what we estimate is that it was worth about 20 bucks. 20 bucks. I mean, what can you buy with 20 bucks nowadays? Like a small popcorn at the movies. That's 20 bucks. You know, not much, not much. Now, he's talking about forgiveness. Now, for those of you who are thinking quick, you're saying, well, wait a minute, time out. Are you saying that how other people hurt me, how other people have sinned against me is just like 20 bucks? 20 bucks worth of pain? Is that what you're saying? No, see, you're making it all about yourself. Don't, don't think that. Make it and put it in God's perspective. Here's what he's saying. The cumulative, the cumulative and collective effect of all your crap, filth, garbage, and sin. That massive moral debt that Jesus took on himself on the cross. All of that. In comparison, what people do to you, in comparison, is the comparison between 20 bucks and 20,000 years worth of work. He's not minimizing what other people did to you. Some of us have been deeply hurt. We will never forget. We always have a little bit of a sting in our heart and our minds. God's not saying that just get over it. It's no big deal. That's not what he's saying. He's comparing the debt that other people have to you with the massive debt that he has already forgiven you. And here's the whole point of the story. You ready? Here it comes. Hold on. Buckle up. I'm telling you just because I love you. Here it goes. Jesus says to you this morning, how dare you? How dare you accept my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness? How dare you embrace me putting my son on the cross for you and forgiving that massive moral debt that you incurred with me, gaining you an eternity in heaven forever? How dare you accept that? And then turn around and not give a fraction of that grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those who have sinned against you. Who do you think you are? I'm just telling you. 
you don't want to tick God off. And you're going to see it in a minute in this story. He gets ticked off. Because of our response to those who have hurt us. And our lack of forgiveness. People that are hearing this in verse 31, they respond very interestingly. Let me show you. Let's put it up there, please. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They were greatly distressed. Who wouldn't be? I mean, you just got forgiven how many gazillion dollars and you're not going to forgive someone 20 bucks? Really? They're outraged, greatly distressed. And they went and they told their master or the king everything that had happened. Well, you know, doesn't surprise me, Dave. I mean, this world's cutthroat. You know, have you heard about those like Wall Street type people? I mean, they're crazy after money. I mean, I understand there's people out there like that. One small problem. This story is not about the people out there. This story is about us. Did, did you not hear it at the beginning of the story? If you have your Bible open, I don't have it on the screen. Listen, verse 23. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on and tells the story. He's not talking about the people at IHOP or at Ross that have no interest in going to church this morning. He's talking about us. In 2004, this movie right here was released. It's called Saved. It's not a good movie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. But I intentionally wanted to watch it. Because, and I do this with almost all movies where Hollywood is talking about church or Christians. I'm interested to see how Hollywood and how culture perceives us. It's just something I do. I find it interesting because it gives me perspective. And this was a story uh, involving a bunch of high school students going and attending a Christian high school. And what they discover in the plot of the story is that one of the of the girls in high school uh, finds out that she's pregnant. Um, and as the story goes on, the, the um, punk rock, rebellious, always in trouble kids, they encourage her. And they help her. And they put their arm around her and say, it's going to be okay. You'll make it through this. But the godly students, they humiliate her and they question her love for God. They reject her and they treat her like a street whore. Now, let me just be clear because I want to make sure that I have perspective uh, I am I'm not condoning sex outside of marriage, and I guarantee you this book doesn't either. So let's just make sure you understand where I'm coming from that. Having said that, having said that, you do realize that the world outside, the world around us are greatly distressed and outraged with our behavior. They don't get us. They can't figure out why we can sing and talk about amazing grace and receive his forgiveness. And then when someone else around us fails morally, we kick them to the curbside and are unwilling to give them any amount of grace, mercy and forgive us. They can't figure us out and neither can God. It all wraps up in verse 32 to 35. And here's how we read. The master of the king called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy and shown forgiveness to your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, those of you who have to have your blanks filled out or you won't hear from Jesus, let me help you fill out the front page. Let's put it up there. How does unforgiveness impact my relationship with God? It impacts your relationship, number one, his forgiveness toward you. His forgiveness toward you. Now, um, if you want to flip back real quick, in Matthew chapter 6, it's implied in the story we just read. But in Matthew chapter 6, the, uh, when he explains the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 14, after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus wants to make sure you get it. Because there's this, I want to make sure they understand So this is what he adds. He adds an explanation to the verse that we talked about. And listen to what he says. Clarification, verse 14. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, then your heavenly father will also forgive you. Thumbs up. You ready for the thumbs down? Here it comes. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive If you do not forgive others their sins, in other words, when someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, if you don't forgive that, here it comes. Your father won't forgive your sins. Do you realize how big a deal this is? Do you realize that some of us have a relationship with God and it's a little bit, we can't, we can't understand it because we love Jesus. We come to church, we're serving here, there and wherever, but I can't put a finger on it, but there's this distance between them and I can't figure out why you want me to tell you why you want me to tell you why here it comes because every time you sit down and you do your prayer Oh, dear God, forgive me for this and forgive me for that. That one thing I said was wrong. Forgive me for that. He gets those, those prayer requests from you at the, at the conference table. Denied. Nope. And you know why he says no? Because you won't forgive your coworker. You won't forgive your parent. You won't forgive that coach. You won't forgive that friend. No, I'm not forgiving him. And that's why your relationship, many of us, It's cold and it's distant and it's difficult and you can't figure it out. And I've just told you. It will directly impact your relationship with God. That's why it's such a big deal. It's not about the person that hurt you. It's about you and God. And I think that's why you're here. It it also impacts his feelings towards you. I mean, it talks about the the master, the king being angry. I don't want him angry. I mean, do you? I prefer happy. Right? Maybe frustrated, but angry? And the last one, it determines his behavior towards you. I will throw them in prison. Now, I, I can't figure out exactly what that means, but that doesn't sound good. How about you? I hope you're motivated, because that was my goal this morning. There's a lot at stake in your life. This multi or this millionaire back in the day when a million dollars was a lot of money. Seems like today it is not as much, but 
um, a guy was a millionaire and he was a real estate guy and he owned a very awkward piece of land uh, in a, a very exclusive res- residential area in a large city. And um, but it was it was very narrow. It was like it was like three, three or four yards wide and 100, 150 feet long. And and there was not much he could do with it. So he went to the neighbor on one side and he says, you know, you, you want to buy it maybe for your yard or whatever you want to do. And the guy offered him a very, very low price. And this this very wealthy man was so upset. He says, forget you. And so he went to the other neighbor and he, he you want to buy this plot of land. He offered him even less. And he says, you know, we've got you over the barrel. You can't do anything with the land. Uh, and uh, so we're going to offer you no one else will buy it. So uh, we're going to offer you a crazy low price. Right. Well, this guy got ticked off. Right. And he did the unthinkable. He decided to build what is still considered today to be one of the narrowest houses in America. Let me show you. It's literally about four to five feet wide and a hundred feet long. It's just like tiny room after tiny room after tiny. You could barely fit furniture in there. This millionaire moved into that house in the middle and lived there until he died because he was so ticked off. To this day, that house is commonly referred to as spite house. And I want to conclude by asking you a question. Are you living in spite house? What that person or that group of people did to you was wrong and it was unfair and it was hurtful and it was sinful what they did. But you've made the situation worse because now while they've moved on with their life and probably forgotten about you, you are harboring bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in your life and you're living in spite house. And what I'd suggest is today is the day you take a bulldozer to it. It's time to forgive, not for their sake, but for your sake. Let's close in prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Who does he want you to forgive? Who have you not fully forgiven? God is asking you to release that pain to him, to release your desire to get even and take revenge, to choose, if possible, to at least be civil to them and not mean. I want you to take a moment and figure out with God for your benefit and your relationship with God, what does he want you to do because of what you learned this morning? Take a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that um, I was certainly challenged as I read and studied this passage. Probably a passage we've read and heard many times before, but now realizing the implication, I'm motivated. I'm motivated to take this topic of forgiveness seriously. Father, I don't want to rush through the story too quickly. I, 
I'm incredibly grateful for the first part of the story. The reminder that because of your son, Jesus Christ, I and every one of us who embraces Jesus have been forgiven a massive mountain of moral debt because of our filth and our sin and the garbage in our life. The only way we gain forgiveness is if you rip up the note and you did that on the cross. And Father, we are so incredibly grateful for that. But it's because of that, it's in the context, in the backdrop of what your son Jesus did for us that you say to us, every single one of us, I'm asking you to do just a fraction, just a small fraction of what I did for you. And yet so many of us are so horrible when it comes to forgiving others. We're mean and we're vindictive and we're vengeful and we give the cold shoulder. And Father, while you never ask us to minimize the hurt, the pain and the sin, the wrong that was done to us, you do ask us to forgive. And as I wrap up praying for every single one of us here this morning, Father, we heard you. We got it. Give us the courage, the discipline to leave here today and actually act on what we learned. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.